you lose traction, you lose momentum. I would argue that's the challenge that most of us in the sanctuary face today. It's not necessarily that we have lost our direction, but some of us, ain't nobody talking to me, are losing traction. We're saying that you look back over your life and you said two years ago, I was much further along. It looks like I'm going backward instead of going forward. Is anybody in here that ever felt like that? Because there are factors in our lives that cause us to lose traction and direction. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart talk today about keep it moving. A week ago, or several weeks ago, I should say, I was arrested by the headline of an internet article. And the headline read, Gabby Douglas almost quit gymnastics for fast food. The article was a prelude to the release of her recently published memoir, Grace, Gold, and Glory, My Leap of Faith. I was so intrigued by the article that I rushed to download my own personal copy. And some of you would be amazed to know that while Gabby captured the hearts of millions around the world with her wide smile and bright eyes, while she will go down in history books as the first African-American woman to win the prestigious individual all-around gold, and that while her hefty endorsements could earn her millions of dollars for years to come, just one year ago, somebody said one year ago, Gabby almost walked away from the sport to work for Chick-fil-A. According to excerpts from her memoir, The Incessant Training, a mostly absentee father, racism and racism from her colleagues almost pushed her over the edge. Just seven months, somebody says seven months, before the Olympics where she won the gold. She told her family that she had lost the passion for the sport and just wanted to be a normal teenage kid. She said, I can get a job at Chick-fil-A, Minister Maryland, in Virginia Beach and live off the 14 grand that I just won at World Championships. Gabby's struggle should not really come as a surprise. For who among us has not been temporarily, if not permanently, sidelined by disappointment, by inertia, by discouragement, delay, or even desires? We live in a world of competing desires, distractions, and deceptions. And one of the essential things in life that a believer must cultivate and nurture is what Dr. Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. In other words, one of the essential things in life that a believer must make up their mind to possess is to keep moving in the same direction or to quote the title of this message to keep it moving. Because in the life, in our lives and particularly in the life of faith, do I have a witness that there is always the persistent temptation to quit, to drop out, to become stagnant, or to become complacent. Our tendency to want to quit is often the result of what we think is an easy journey. 
We often look at people who are successful and we think that their lives or their journey represents a succession of successive successions. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are peaks and valleys. There are high moments and low moments. And the essential thing in life for even a person of faith, even the elect of God, is to have a long obedience in the same direction or to keep it moving. Peterson argues that this is because the world is no friend to grace. That a person who makes a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior does not find a crowd immediately forming to applaud their decision. Neither are their old friends gathering around to offer congratulations and counsel. More often than not, even though it may not be directly hostile, but you will experience when you make a decision to follow God fully that there is an accumulation of puzzle disapproval an agnostic indifference that constitutes formidable opposition for those who are not rooted and grounded in their faith. The truth of the matter is, is that we live in an ethos or a zeitgeist or the spirit of the age erodes faith. It dissipates hope in God and it corrupts love. We live in an age where you don't do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, but you do to others before they do unto you. We live in an ethos or a zeitgeist that does not suggest that you ought to allow vengeance to, to rest with the Lord, but the zeitgeist of the age says, don't get mad, get even. Peterson further states that the one thing that has been harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything that's worth having can be acquired all at once. And I believe the reason for this is because most of us come into people's lives at the end of their movie and not the beginning. You come in when people are riding the bins. You didn't come in when they were driving a pinto with the window hanging out. You come in when they moved in the house that they have worked and slaved for all their life. You weren't there when they couldn't stay in an apartment and couldn't keep a lease for six months. You come in at the end of the story. And so this is why it's important to read the biographies of people who have excelled and people who have succeeded. That's why I watch the bio channel. That's why I watch the bio channel because I'm always intrigued by the stories of people. People that we think just walked into success. But if you hear their story, you ought to touch somebody and say, if you knew my story. <laughs> if you could hear their story and know some of the struggles that they went through and how many times they failed before they experienced success, it would not necessarily be any less tempting to give up, but it would be a lot harder to give in. Because nothing worthwhile, hear me young folk, can be acquired at once. We assume that if anything can be done at all, it can be done quickly, it can be done efficiently, and it can be done effectively. Because we live in a world and a society where our sense of reality, Peterson says, has been flattened by 30-page abridgments. Our attention span has been conditioned by 30-second commercials and 30-minute reality shows where problems are solved by the end of the episode unless you're watching Scandal. And I'm having withdrawals right about now. She needs to hurry up and come on back. There is a great market for religious experience, but little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. 
little inclination to sign up for a long obedience in the same direction. We'd rather delegate that to somebody else. Because in the face of outside distractions and uncontrollable variables, it can be difficult to keep it moving. Because as we learn from Gabby Douglas, our own lives and today's text, there are forces and factors in all of our lives that cause us to lose traction and lose direction. I would argue that there are forces that cause us to lose traction more than direction. And you know there's a difference between losing direction and traction. Because you can be headed in a direction, but when you lose traction, you lose momentum. I would argue that's the challenge that most of us in the sanctuary face today. It's not necessarily that we have lost our direction, but some of us, ain't nobody talking to me, are losing traction. We're saying that you look back over your life and you said two years ago, I was much further along. It looks like I'm going backward instead of going forward. Is anybody in here that ever felt like that? Because there are factors in our lives that cause us to lose traction and direction. But today's text, somebody said today's text, is an example of what can happen when we fail to keep it moving. When we fail to persevere, when we give up, when we give out, and when we give in, when like Terah, we settle in Haran. Most of us have probably heard of Terah's son, Abraham, but we don't know very much about Terah. He's not mentioned many times in scripture. Few sermons are preached about him. In fact, we have studied and lifted up the virtue and the inspiring obedience of his son, Abram, as an example of biblical faithfulness. We admire Abram's faith. Everybody knows about Abraham. Even if you don't read your Bible much, you know about Abraham. Because Abraham has been lifted up as a paragon of faith. He was the one who set out to find a city that he could not see. To believe God for a son he could not hold. To trust God for a miracle that could not be conceived. Most of us know about Abram. Father of the faithful. A patriarch of patriarchs. We know about Abram. Chosen by God to be the father of many nations. Yet, despite his shortcomings and all that he did, Abraham earned a reputation of being a friend of God. Amen. Yet the antithesis, the opposite of Abram's pursuit of God's promise, spanning more than two decades without physical evidence, is seen in his father, Terah. For while Abram walked by faith and not by sight, Terah camped out in Haran and he died at a place that was intended to just be a stop on his itinerary. Terah died in Haran because he failed to keep it moving. If you read the text closely, you will note that Terah, Abram's father, set out for Canaan long before Abram did. But for some reason, touch somebody say, I don't know why he did it. But for some reason, Terah stopped in Haran, and he never continued his journey on to Canaan. The text doesn't tell us why they settled. The text doesn't give us any specific reasons. Maybe the journey proved too long and arduous for them. Maybe he figured life in Haran was better than anything he had known so far, and good was good enough. How many of you know that good really can be the enemy of the best? That when you reach a place of satisfaction and you feel comfortable and you feel that this is about as good as it gets, you decide you're just going to camp out right here when the fact of the matter is that God still hasn't shown his best hand yet. 
The truth of the matter is, is that is the challenge for many of us as believers. We get to a place where we are content. We feel that God has done all that God is going to do. But how many of you know that God is full of surprises? That God is a serendipitous God. That he will surprise you in special ways. In ways that you don't even expect. God has a way of sneaking up behind you and blowing your mind. Is there anybody in here today that God has ever snuck up behind you and blown your mind with a blessing when you least expected it. Maybe Tara thought that this was as good as it gets. Perhaps he never wanted to go to Canaan in the first place. How many of you know that God will call you to do some stuff that you don't really want to do no how? Some of the stuff we end up doing. In fact, what I've discovered is that most of the stuff that God calls you to do, you don't want to do it. Who am I talking to in here? Most preachers that's really called don't want to preach. Most preachers that's really called don't want to preach. Because if you understand the burden of ministry, you're not anxious to jump in this. Because once you get in it, your neck is on the line and ain't no backing up. How many of you know most things that God calls you to do, you really don't want to do it? Perhaps Tara didn't really want to go to Canaan. And perhaps when he got to Haran, he thought to himself, this is as good as it gets. The text doesn't tell us why he stopped, but what the text tells us is that he died where he settled without ever reaching his intended destination. Now, for some of you, this may sound like it's not really a big deal. Some of you may think that it's making much ado about nothing, but the text tells us that he left Ur of the Chaldees, you just read it, with the intent of going to Canaan. And the text does not explicitly state that Terah's move was prompted by God like Abram's was. But what we do know is that for some reason, Terah failed to keep it moving. Before we critique Terah, is this not the struggle that most of us face? We respond to the vision of what the spiritual life promises. It seems that our faith is fueled by steroids. We began the journey toward fulfillment of the promise, but when the journey takes longer than we expected, when it requires more than we are prepared to give, or we are drawn to something more tempting and more pleasing, we settle down in Haran instead of journeying on to know the Lord and moving toward the goal of spiritual maturity. Because at the end of the day, the goal is about moving to the place that God intends. And so instead of practicing a present tense obedience, instead of pressing toward the mark for the high calling of God, we settle for a little religious tradition. We become comfortable in our walk with God. We prefer a form of godliness without a demonstration of God's power. We don't have time to tarry before God. No desire to go deeper. No desire to grow. No hunger. No thirst for God. No panning after God as the deer pants for streams of water. We'd rather for somebody else to do that for us and let some drops fall down on us. We'd rather for somebody else to make the investment and we just live in the overflow. Come on here somebody. But the truth of the matter is, is that a little bit of this and a little bit of this and we'll break God a piece off here and break him off a piece there. The only time we read our Bible is when we come to church and our only time of fellowship is when we want something. We have no quiet time, no devotional life, no prayer life, even though we said yes to God. Because even in our walk with God, we fail to keep it moving. Fail to keep it moving and we compromise the call 
to our ultimate destination because it's tempting for all of us to get comfortable where we are. And one of the things that always amazes me about folk is that they're always complaining about they're not growing it. I just want more. I want more. And then you come to church and sit here like you're a statue. You want more, but then you sit here like you're being entertained. I just wish that God would do something special in service, but we got to do religious calisthenics and almost got to strip down butt naked to get you to lift your hands when God is already present. You don't need no sign, no wonder. All you need to do is think about how good God has been to you and begin to bless him instead of sitting here waiting for somebody to flip a switch and make you have a religious orgasm because that's really what we want we don't want to do the hard work we want a religious orgasm make me feel good make me shout make me dance make me holler but if he ain't been good enough to you, if your religion with God ain't solid enough, if God is not real enough in your own life to make you holler on your own, to make you shout on your own, to make you clap your hands on your own, to lift up holy hands on your own, to open your black mouth on your own. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Matter of fact, let's just take 30 seconds and give him some. I said give him some. Give him some. Give him some, give him some, give him some. Open your mouth, open your mouth, ladies and gentlemen. We settle for a little bit of worship. We settle for a little bit of commitment, a little bit of righteousness, a modest practice of faith that doesn't interfere too much with our normal lives. So our lives become defined more by situational ethics, more by the society or the culture in which we live than by the vision that God is calling us. We settle in Haran and some, somebody says some, because there ain't going to be one of them, have died in Haran without reaching our destination. Perhaps Charles Streeter, this is why Miles Monroe says that one of the wealthiest places on the planet is gold mines. It's not gold mines. It's not oil fields. It's not diamond mines or banks, but the cemetery. He says that in the cemetery, there are companies that were never started, books that were never written, ideas that were never harnessed, songs that were never sung, paintings that never filled a canvas, and drama pieces that were never enacted because people died, Dr. Payton, with the treasure inside of them. But you ought to tap somebody and say it's a treasure in your leaky jar. <laughs> that the excellency of the power may be from God and not from you, and you can't die with the treasure inside of you. Maybe you're not one of those who settled in Haran. Maybe you're not one of those who stopped at the halfway mark. Perhaps you stopped and didn't intend to get stuck. Heron was just intended to be a rest stop. It was just intended to be a, 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 a halfway point. It was just intended to be a stop on your itinerary. You didn't intend to get stuck there, but you did. You didn't intend to not, never go back and get your degree. You just never went back. You didn't intend to fall off from church attendance. You just woke up one Sunday and you turned over and hit the snooze button one time too many and you slept one Sunday. And one Sunday turned into two Sundays and two Sundays turned into three Sundays and three Sundays turned into four Sundays and four Sundays turned into a month and, and now you're worshiping at Bedside Baptist. Elder Pillar is your pastor. You didn't intend to stop coming to church. You just got off track. 
Perhaps you didn't intend to become lack, lose your focus in terms of your relationship. Perhaps you never intended to get distracted like you did, but something happened even though your intent was that you were headed in another place. But for some reason, you got to Heron, and that's where you stopped. But I need to tell you, before you get rocks in your jaws, people are not the only ones that settle in Heron. We got some churches that have settled in Heron. CNBC, I hope we'll never be one of them, but don't fool yourself. There are some Heron Missionary Baptist churches. There are some Heron AME churches. There are some Heron Church of God in Christ churches. There are some Heron United Methodist churches. There are some Heron Pentecostal churches. There are some Heron non-denominational churches. And there are some Heron Jesus People Worldwide Outreach Ministry churches. They're in every city. They're in every denomination, every town, every hamlet, every city, and every village. Because there are some churches that once had a clear sense of God's dream. They were willing to take risks. They were bold and they were courageous. They were daring and they were faith-filled. They were willing to take institutional risk. They were willing to push the envelope and see what God was up to. They were willing to go where God was working and not just ask God to bless what they were already doing. They were willing to attempt the impossible, but now they become fixed and redundant. Guardians of the status quo, afraid of new life, afraid of fresh opportunities and fresh ideas, become settled into a comfortable place of ministry, doing the same old thing, the same old way, with the same old folk, with the same expectations. No interest in social media. No interest in technology. No interest in Bible study. It's getting quiet. No interest in discipleship. No interest in prophetic ministry. No interest in prophetic justice. No interest in social justice. Just comfortable doing the same old thing. Walking around the same old mountain. The words of Deacon Ruby June, just mocking time. King was right when he declared that the church has been guilty in some cases of hearkening more to its tradition and the authority of the world than to the authority of God. That it's been guilty of preserving what is unethical and immoral. That rather than combating social evil, the church has been content to remain behind or remain silent behind stained glass windows, padded pews, hammered organs, praise music, and praise and worship teams. This is not to suggest that anything is inherently wrong with this, but we are called to do more than just have a party on Sunday morning. Called to challenge our people to rise above their phobias and their fears, their myopia and narrow-mindedness, and yet the church has often been guilty of practicing exclusion and oppression. Called to speak truth to power, we have often chosen to eat at Pharaoh's table. Called to be an architect of broken dreams and a repairer of the breach and a restorer of streets, we have been seduced by faulty and tertiary secondary symbols of success. Budgets, buildings, cars, cameras, and cash. And while there is nothing inherently wrong with those things, they are faulty indicators of whether or not the Lord is with us. Because God has called us to a higher calling. Calling us to challenge the people of God to live as disciples but we reduce ourselves to catering to them as customers this is not to say that all churches are guilty or that all are inherently sinful but what I am suggesting is that the church like its Lord must guard against misplaced missional energy somebody said misplaced missional energy no it's easy to get distracted by something that really is not your mission and I've come to tell somebody that every need is not your assignment. And every need is not your ministry. 
This is why the Bible says that he gives gifts to the body to profit with all. Perhaps this is why Jesus wouldn't camp out in Capernaum. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus went to pray and meet God early in the morning, you do know it's a good idea to talk to God first before you start talking to anybody else. Before you answer the phone, before you check email. I know it's tempting to get up and start doing everything else. But I want to challenge you this morning as you go into a new year that before you do anything else, make an appointment, make a date with God. Geraldine Major preached a sermon about a rendezvous with God. Make it a point to have, I'm not talking to anybody in here this morning, to have a rendezvous with God. Jesus met God early in the morning. And the Bible said that while he was in prayer, Minister Kanita, the disciples ran to him and they said, everybody is looking for you. Isn't that something that will tickle your ego? Isn't it a good thing? Because you know all of us want to be needed. Last one, all of us got ego. Touch your neighbor and say, you got an ego. <laughs> in fact, you need some ego. <laughs> you need ego to be able to stand in front of folk and speak publicly. You need ego to go to work and do your job. You need ego to be able to try to pass a test. You need ego to believe that you can be a doctor when everybody else has told you you're not smart enough to be one. You need ego for you to attempt these dreams and step out on visions that nobody else has seen. You need ego to attempt what the God is calling you to do. All of us need ego. And all of us got ego. I don't care how much we try to pretend like we don't have egos. We do have egos. And it's a stroke to our ego to know that we're needed. Most of us, if they had told us, everybody's looking for you, first thing we would have done was start grinning and trying to look very humble and start saying, well, let me check my calendar. <laughs> but what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't say, let me check my calendar. Jesus said, Minister Terry, let us go into the other towns because that is why I have come. Tap somebody said, you got to be clear about your assignment. Can I send a news flash? Are you clear about your assignment? As we go into the new year, do you know what God has gifted you to do? Do you know what God has given you an anointing for? An anointing, a success-producing power and energy that when you do something, when you operate, when you flow in your gift, when you walk in your assignment, people are blessed and God is glorified. Are you clear about the fact? First of all, let me back up. Scourge, are you clear that God has gifted you? Let me back up. Before we start talking about being clear about your assignment, are you clear that you've been gifted? Ain't nobody talking to me. Because most of us think that the only gifted folk are up here. Ain't nobody talking to me. But the truth of the matter is, is that God has gifted all of us to do something to advance his kingdom. You ought to tell somebody said, this is your year to get clear. I mean, 2013 is your year. This year almost over. I know it can be tempting to redirect missional energy. I remember when I was called into the ministry, before I was called into the ministry, I used to narrate all the time. I used to be at every concert. And when I got called into the ministry, the Lord spoke to me very clearly in the pulpit one Sunday. He said, he said it's time for you to stop emceeing. He said, because it's time for you to start opening the door for somebody else that's already been prepared for this assignment. And it's time for you to focus on what I've called you to do, and that is preach the word. People didn't understand when I start, start, stop, talk, stop taking engagements for MCN. You know what they say? Oh, she's too good now. Avon didn't say that. They understood. But there were others because I used to MC all over the city. And, and when I would say, well, well how come you can't MC? Well, 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 I understood my assignment. Let me tell you something, people will have you doing stuff you ain't called to do. 
on, clap your hands, ladies and gentlemen. That one was free. Come on, bless God. I'm giving you permission today to say no to stuff that you ain't called to do. Folk have you singing and you can't sing. They have you preaching and you can't preach. They have you trying to administrate and you ain't no leader. You ought to clap your black hands, ladies and gentlemen, and give God some praise. Because even though you may not be gifted to do that, you gifted to do something. Look at somebody say, you got some gifts. And not only do you have gift, a gift, you got gifts, plural. Come on, put your hands together and clap your hands and give God praise for your gift. We must resist the temptation to misuse and abuse missional energy. Because God has given us missional energy to invest our lives in him. But I know what some of us are saying, because I've been there. It can be tempting to camp out at Harrah, especially when moving forward is not your only option. I'll be the first to admit that quitting is one of the easiest things to do. I understood why Gabby wanted to give up. Because the pressure, the outside pressure, the persecution will make you give up. Sometimes pleasure will make you quit. And not only that, sometimes persecution will make you quit. Sometimes pressure will make you quit. It can be tempting to stand still and do nothing. It's much easier to have no responsibility for outcomes. It's much easier to let somebody else do it. And I'm sure, I'm sorry, I'm not sure, but perhaps that's why terror remained in Haran. Maybe it was more appealing. Perhaps it was the familiarity of the place, the security of the known, or the unfamiliarity of the unknown. Or perhaps he just didn't want to go off into a place that he'd never been. Perhaps he felt apprehensive about moving into a place where there were people already inhabiting the land. We're told in chapter 12 that Canaanites were living in the land and these people probably wouldn't have responded too kindly to somebody suddenly appearing from a long way off taking possession of their land. Perhaps he lost faith in God to deliver on his promise. Perhaps he intended to leave Haran and finish the journey to Canaan, but he just never got around to it. Or perhaps he just preferred Haran over Canaan. For whatever reason, he got to Canaan, he never got to Canaan, and he died in Haran. He started out obeying God, showing faith in the promise to his son Abraham, but his obedience and his faith fizzled out. His journeying with God came to an end, and he missed all the promises of God, never seeing what God had in store for him. I wonder, is there anybody here today? As we reflect on our own lives, not somebody else's, but we reflect on our own lives and consider our own ways who can say that there was a time that we set out to obey God. That we planned to do what God told us to do and go where God told us to go, but we didn't complete the job. Does the size of the task put us off? Do we get nervous about the journey? Do our fears prevent us from fully trusting? Perhaps the familiar attracts us and gives us security and prevents us from moving in our obedience as the old ways call us back. Or maybe we intended to go God's way, but we kept finding reasons to delay, to procrastinate, to put it off just one more day. But I've come to encourage somebody today and tell you, you need to keep it moving. Somebody asked me why. <laughs> because you, can't, you cannot settle for a life of partial obedience. 
You don't want to settle for a life of partial fulfillment because a life of partial fulfillment also equates to partial reward. Terah didn't just settle in Haran, he died in Haran. And what the text does not tell us, while the text does not tell us why he stopped, we do know what he missed. Somebody said, tell us plainly. He missed out on Abram's reward. You see, unlike Abraham, unlike his father, Abram did leave Haran. And in obedience to God and with faith in his promise, he made his way to Canaan. He inherited the promise, and because he obeyed, he received everything that God had promised him. Wouldn't it be tragic for somebody to get what was yours? Wouldn't it be tragic for somebody else to inherit the blessing that was intended to come to you? Abram was promised that his seed, one of his descendants, would bless all the nations of the earth. And if you read the book of Hebrews, it tells us exactly how that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some may be asking the question, well, how did Abram do it? How was he able to bounce back time after time after protracted and prolonged delays and deferred promises and barren wounds? How was Abram able to keep his eye fixed on a city whose builder and maker was God? How was Abram able to believe God for 25 years after God promised him 25 years earlier that he would be the father of many nations? And some 20 plus years later, he looked up and Sarah's womb was still barren. And even when they tried to take matters into their own hands and had Ishmael. God said Ishmael is not the one. How was he able to keep trusting God when he didn't have any tangible evidence? Well the text doesn't tell us but I got a sneaky suspicion about why Abram was able to follow God and follow God in a long obedience in the same direction. I believe that Abram was able to follow God and keep it moving because all he had was a promise. But a promise is enough to keep it moving. I stop by to announce this morning that the world still needs some folk who will keep it moving. Some folk who will commit to a long obedience in the same direction. Is there anybody in here this morning that can rejoice at the end of the year? That all you may have is a promise. You may not have any tangible evidence. In fact, all of the evidence speaks to the contrary. But is there anybody in here that will believe God enough to say that I got enough to keep it moving? Because all I got is a promise but a promise is enough for me to keep moving one foot in front of the other he said I never leave you nor forsake you but I'll be with you always even until the end of the age and that's a promise he said when you walk through the waters I'll be with you and when you go through the fire the fire won't overflow you and when you walk through the river the river won't burn you when you walk through the river the river won't overflow you and when you go through the fire the fire Fire won't burn you. That's a promise. He said, Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a promise. He said, I'll be your light and your salvation. And that's a promise. He said, I'll make your enemies your footstool. And that's a promise. He said, I'll bless your going out and your coming in. And that's a promise. He said, I'll make it ahead and not the tail. And that's a promise. He said, I'll work everything out for the good of those that love me and who are the called according to his purpose. And 
that's a promise. He said, I'll bless you in the city. And that's a promise. I'll bless you in the field. And that's a promise. I'll make it ahead. And that's a promise. I'll make it ahead and not the tail. And that's a promise. Is there anybody here that can throw your head back and thank God that he's a promise keeper? Is there anybody with a testimony who can say today, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus telling me, go ahead and fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. Do I have any witnesses? Do I have anybody that can testify that he's a promise keeper? You ought to yank somebody and tell them keep it moving. It may be dark, but keep it moving. You may be discouraged, but keep it moving. You may be sick, but keep it moving. You may feel complacent, but keep it moving. You may feel apathetic, but keep it moving. And here is why you got to keep it moving. Because you can't die like this. You ought to slap somebody and say, I can't die like this. I can't die broke. I can't die sick. I can't die depressed. I can't die frustrated. Say yeah. Yeah. Yank somebody. Shake them and rock them. Rock them and shake them. Tell them I got to keep it moving. For it does not yet appear what I'm going to be. But I got to feel it that God is up to something. And everything is going to be all right. Is there anybody in here that's looking forward to what God is up to? Is there anybody in here that's willing to give God a prophetic praise? You ought to yank your friend. Said, don't quit. You come too far. God is up to something. You can't see it, but he's still working. Moving behind the scenes. Grab somebody. Shake them and rock them. Rock them and shake them. Tell them, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations. Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer.